Hey, I'm Andy. I'm Andy. And you're listening to the HMO Podcast. Over 10 years ago, I set myself the challenge of building my own property portfolio. And what began as a short-term investment plan soon became a long-term commitment to change the way young people live together. I've now built several successful businesses, I've raised millions of pounds of investment, and I've managed thousands of tenants. Join me and some very special guests to discover the tips, tricks, and hacks, the ups and the downs, the best practice, and everything else you need to know to start, scale, and systemize your very own HMO portfolio. Now. I love case studies because they are such a good learning tool. It's why they feature so heavily inside the HMO Roadmap and on the HMO Podcast. We can learn from them. We can criticize and analyze them. We can use them as benchmarks. They can steer us and guide us and inspire us. But one of our members in the HMO community recently asked the question, why had they never seen anybody share or post about the lifetime performance of one of their HMO deals? And I thought that that was such a good question and I didn't know the answer to it. Perhaps people don't have the numbers. Perhaps people don't want to share the numbers. But either way, it made me think, what has the lifetime performance been of my HMO deals? I didn't know. So I set about trying to figure that out, going back through my archives, looking through the paperwork and actually looking at the performance, the lifetime performance of one of my HMO deals. And that's exactly what I want to share with you in today's episode of the HMO Podcast. So sit back, relax, do whatever you need to do, and please enjoy today's episode of the HMO Podcast. Hey guys, it's Andy here. We're going to be getting back to the podcast in just a moment. But before we do, I want to tell you very quickly about the HMO Roadmap. Now, if you're serious about replacing your income, or perhaps you've already got a HMO portfolio that you want to scale up, then the HMO Roadmap really is your one-stop shop. Inside the roadmap, you'll find a full 60-lesson course delivered by me, teaching you how to find more deals, how to fund more deals and raise private finance, how to refurbish great properties, how to fill them with great tenants that stay for longer, and how to manage your properties and tenants for the future. We've also got guest workshops added every single month. We've got new videos added every single week about all sorts of topics. We've got downloadable resources, cheat sheets, and swipe files to help you. We've got case studies from guests and community members who are doing incredible projects that you can learn from. And we've also built an application just for you that allows you to appraise and evaluate your deals, stack them side by side and track the key metrics that are most important to you. To find out more, head to the hmoroadmap.co.uk now and come and join our incredible community of HMO property investors. Okay, welcome back to the podcast. So today we're going to talk about the lifetime performance of one of my deals. And I'm really excited to share this with you. We haven't done this on the podcast before. I certainly haven't shared this sort of a case study, this sort of analysis on one of my deals before. And I'm also excited about sharing this with you because when I did the research, when I looked back through my archives and it wasn't an easy exercise because my old archive system, my old records aren't as good as my current ones are. I was pleasantly surprised about the performance. I thought it was really, really good. It was better than I was expecting. So I'm excited to share that with you. So today I want to talk to you about that, but I also want to give you the context about that. It's important that we remember that this isn't a highlights reel. I picked the very first deal I ever did because it was the first deal I ever did. And I had the the longest record of performance on that. 
So I didn't actually and actively select what I thought was going to be the best performing deal in my portfolio. I just picked the very first one. But we're going to talk, as we progress through it and talk through the numbers and the performance, we're going to talk through and share the context about it as well, because that's important here. It's important that you understand the type of deal this is and why it's performed in the way that it has. Because like I said, not every deal is going to turn out like this. My other deals don't necessarily look just like this. And if you're not achieving these numbers, or perhaps if you're achieving better numbers, that's not to say that this is a good or bad deal or better or worse. It's just this deal. So let's get straight into this. Let's start by looking at what I've actually made on this deal over the lifetime. I know that's what you want to hear. How much have I actually made on this project since I bought it? Well, it's a deal that I bought in 2009. It's been up and running and functioning as a HMO for 12 years. It's actually let for next year, but I haven't included those numbers in it. So over the last 12 years, in combination of the net rental income and the capital appreciation, I have made £282,159 on this deal over 12 years. I think you'll agree that that is a pretty staggering figure, almost £300,000 over 12 years. That's an average of nearly £22,000 every single year from one deal. I mean, the current average salary in the UK is £25,971. So the average that I've made on this property over the last 12 years isn't that far off the current UK average salary. That is a phenomenally staggering figure and performance of a HMO deal. Now, let me give you some important context to this project, to this property. As I said, this is the first HMO I ever bought. I bought it in 2009 and it was up and running in 2010. It did its first academic year from July 2010. I bought it for £109,500. It was an on-market deal. So you've got to remember, in 2009, this was right at the bottom of the market after the recession. So I probably bought this at the very best possible time. I didn't realise this at the time, but in retrospect, I think that that's become apparent. So a key part of this deal and the performance of this deal is the timing. I bought this at a very good time. I was able to get into the deal at a very, very good price. However, I wasn't just able to recycle all that capital out the following day because we were still in a recession. The bank didn't or wouldn't have come and valued it a year later, sort of double the value. It's taken a lot of time. It's taken a long time to get that value up. In fact, my last valuation, which is actually what I've based the numbers on here, was £275,000. That was a valuation last year in 2021. And I got a new mortgage on it fixed in and I got a brand new interest rate. So when I bought it, £109,500, I got a mortgage from the Mortgage Works. It was just over 4%. I put a 25% deposit down, which was about £27,000. The bank loaned me the rest and I did a refurb. And the refurb was about £31,284, as far as I can <laughs> I can see when I go back through the numbers. This is actually still on paper. I didn't have a spreadsheet at the time. So £31,284 is what I spent on the project. It was a three-bed, semi-detached house, ex-local authority. It needed a lot of work. It was on the market. And I, I did mostly... Cosmetics, there was a little bit of light building work. We took out one wall and then we put a new kitchen in. We put a second bathroom downstairs. We sort of extended into, well, it was already an outbuilding at the back, an attached outbuilding, being used as cold storage, if you like, but it's quite large. Boarded all that out, made it habitable, and then generally just improved the 
condition of the property. Put a new kitchen in, painted and decorated some new doors, still left the wallpaper on, didn't strip everything back, which obviously saved a lot of time and a lot of money. So £31,284 is what I spent at that time. Honestly, looking back, I did a good job for then, but it's definitely not the sort of project that I would share on Instagram now, or I'm not even sure I have shared it. It's had some improvement works, which I'll tell you about since then, but this wasn't an all-singing, all-dancing HMO, like some of the stuff that we see now, some of the incredible projects that we do and our guests do on the show. It was different. This was very much a well-functioning HMO, but it wasn't led by design. It had the space, it had the amenities, but it wasn't led by design. At the time, there was no Article 4 direction when I bought. At the time, it didn't need a HMO license. HMO licensing at that point in time was five beds on three or more floors. This was only on two floors, so I didn't need a HMO license. So the, sort of the barrier to entry into this property was pretty low. The most recent revaluation was £275,000. I've retained a 25% deposit on that and I've loaned the remainder. So the mortgage I have on it is about 206000 The residual deposit I have in the property today is 68750 My rate is 1.74% right now, which is an amazing rate. So the reason why the rate's so good is in part because this is a student property and all five tenants are on the same AST. And in part, it's because it's in my personal name. It was the first property I bought. Buying in a limited company wasn't a thing, certainly wasn't a thing that I was aware of. So I bought my personal name and you can still get really good mortgages. So this mortgage, 1.74%, which is an amazing deal that I fixed in for a little while on now. I think my repayments are about £390 a month. So let me talk you through the performance over the years, the last 12 years. Now, I've got the numbers in front of me. It was really difficult to get all of this information. So I've tried to be as accurate as I possibly can. But full caveat, you know, I definitely had to fill in a few gaps in the history here. But I've used my accounting records and I did keep track of the rental income and, and my expenditure and things like that. So, oh, and another important thing to remember here is that I have predominantly self-managed this property. So I haven't incurred management costs. If you were factoring management costs into this deal, it would add few hundred pounds to the, the operating costs every single month and over 12 years, that would really wash out. That would have quite an impact on the deal. So in the first year, 2010, 2011, I netted just under £11,000. The following year, just over £11,000. And incrementally, almost every single year of the last 12 years, my rental income, my net rental income went up. And that's a combination of us being able to put the rents up me getting, I think, more proficient at managing the house and keeping maintenance lower. And also, interestingly, my mortgage repayments going down over time. My repayments now, or my the rate that I'm on now, is the cheapest that it's ever been over the last 12 years, which I thought was really quite an interesting thing. The rate was much more expensive back in 2009-10 when I first bought the house. I can't remember why. Maybe that was all that was on offer. Maybe it was because I was a first-time landlord. Maybe HMO products just weren't as popular. I mean, they definitely weren't just as popular. Strangely, though, it's really easy to buy the property. They didn't really care that I was planning to use it as a HMO. I did absolutely tell them that, that I was planning to use it as a HMO, but you know, they didn't make me jump through many hoops. And I think that this is all quite important here. The context here is important because the landscape has definitely changed. Buying a HMO right now is different. There are a lot more hoops to jump through. Article 4 directions is a big thing and prices are obviously being pushed up because of that. HMO licensing has to be done for five beds irrespective of the number of floors. That's an expensive exercise. You've got to jump through a few hoops there. 
lenders have more stringent criteria, stress testing. There's a lot more that's being taken into account. And I don't think that it would have been anywhere near as easy for me to buy this deal under those circumstances with no experience today as it would have been then. So timing here is really important. And I think one of the things that looking back on this deal that it really shows me here is that the importance of just getting it done, just getting stuck in. I remember how nervous and apprehensive I was about buying this deal. I had no experience in property. We were in a recession, so I didn't understand much about that. But the people around me, my parents, my uncle who was a builder, they were feeling the impact of it. I wasn't. I didn't have many financial dependencies at that time. And I was sort of ignoring that kind of stuff. And there were a lot of warning signs, a lot of people telling me to be careful. Property, property values have slumped. You can't make money in property. And I do remember, and this is before even thinking about whether or not it will work as a HMO. There was still that part that I didn't know and hadn't hadn't bottomed out and hadn't been able to prove. So there was a lot of question marks on this. But looking back, of course, I'm so glad that I did it. You know, I kind of pat myself on the back for having the balls to actually get up and do it and take the risk. So let's have a look at the performance. Let's break it down. Let's look at the capital appreciation. Let's look at the net rental income separately. So over 12 years, the net rental income was £155,423. If we average that out every single year, that boils down to £12,952. So over the term... The average sort of annual performance was £12,952. And if you divide that by 12, just to give you an idea on the performance every single month, it's just over £1,000. Now, today, I like to achieve £250 net per room over the lifetime on this deal. Actually, that's not quite what it achieved. Although now it far exceeds that, but when I was just getting started and in the early days, it wasn't. A couple of reasons there. One of the reasons was because... In the early years, the rents just weren't that high, or I wasn't charging enough. But now we charge a lot more. Let's look at the equity, though, the equity that's been created. So I bought it for 109000 spent £31,284 on it. So just all in cost, there was no stamp duty, £140,784. It's now worth 275000 So the equity gain there, there's some costs in here, but the equity gain is about £134,000. That's how much it's gone up in value after my initial cost. There's one more slight adjustment to this, and that is that in, I think it was 2017, I did just over £7,000 worth of improvement works. So it was primarily cosmetic. It was furnishing and it was redecorating. It wasn't the kitchen. It wasn't flooring. All of that original stuff is still in there 12 years on, which actually I think is quite an important point here. I couldn't quite remember how much improvement works I'd done. I've done maintenance and all the maintenance that I've done over the years is factored into the net rental income already, but actual improvement works, I've spent just over £7,000 on it in over 12 years. My kitchen has lasted, the bathrooms have lasted, the floors have lasted, the furniture didn't, the decorating didn't. I've actually gone in and completely redecorated, but again, not taking the wallpaper off, I've just repainted. So the actual equity gain over the 12 years so far up to the last refinance last year at 275,000 is 126,736 pounds. So again, the net rental income was 155,423, 155,423. 
and the capital appreciation, the gain, the equity gain, £126,736. So I've actually made more on this property in net rental income than I have on the capital growth, which again is quite interesting because I actually thought I'd made more on the capital appreciation than I had on the net rental income. But total 282159, It's staggering over 12 years. The deal's actually let for next year already. So the projected income for next year will be £16,600. And who knows what the property value will be. I'm pretty sure, again, it's gone up. It's probably more like towards 300000 now. Article 4 direction has come in in this particular area and there's a lot of demand from buyers and obviously the rental income's gone up. So yeah, I think the property value's gone up. So I think as I record this now, it, it could well be looking like actually the net gain, the amount I've made on this is even more than 282000 So that's sort of a rough breakdown of the performance. I think it's really important here to highlight that almost 50% of this deal, not, not quite, but almost 50% of the performance on this deal has been capital appreciation. And I talk about this quite a lot. When it comes to HMOs, we absolutely should be investing for yield. That has got to be the first priority. It's the most important thing. We've got to make sure that we get that absolutely right. And if we do get that right, and if we've got the rental confidence, we're we're never really going to have a problem because worst case, our costs go up, our mortgage goes up. But if we can still rent it and we've still got good margins in our deal, then we're all good. If that yield's good, it's telling us our margins are good and, and that's great. But when it comes to capital appreciation, that's a bit more difficult. Now, while I think the rental incomes definitely and the yields have got to be the priority, I think that it's still really, really, really important to look and buy in areas where you can get capital appreciation. Because look what, over 12 years here, you know, £126,000 is sort of what the equity gain has been on this project. That's £10,000 every single year. It's not far off the rent. And that hasn't washed out over the short term. You know, I wasn't able to refinance year one, two, three and get 50% of my capital back out. That hasn't how this has happened for me. But over 12 years, I've gradually pulled this out and it's found its way into my other projects. It's helped me build my portfolio. It's helped me build my business. And that's really, really important here. If there was no capital appreciation over the last 12 years, if I completely sacrificed this because I bought somewhere where perhaps the infrastructure program wasn't there or there are still areas in the northwest and the northeast where capital appreciation isn't really happening, then yeah, I'd have done well on the, the net rental income, but I'd have missed out on all of that capital growth. And for me, at my stage, or certainly where I was in my stage of investing, I needed that. That was a really important part of my process. A lot of people, I know a lot of our listeners need and want to add value and refinance very quickly. And that's great. And that's almost a a further extrapolation of that. You've really got to think about the type of property you buy, the refurb you do, how you actually force that value up. That wasn't the case for me. In fact, if I'm totally honest, that wasn't even on my agenda or a radar. I didn't even know that that was something you could do. I didn't know you could add value straight away and then kind of refinance it very quickly. But I still sort of did that over the term, over the last 12 years. And that has been absolutely critical to what I've been able to do in the rest of my business. And I think that that's a really poignant part of today's podcast. That capital growth is, I would say, just as important as that net rental income. So for me, my portfolio is quite balanced in this sense. I like to buy things that perform really well on a rental basis because the demand's there. I've got a lot of student property, but I also like to buy in areas where I know that the values are good. I like to buy in areas that I know over the long term 
those property values are going to go up because of infrastructure and regeneration programs and plans, that sort of thing, because of the desirability. Because I know that there's a lack of housing and shortage of housing in these areas. I like to buy things that have driveways and gardens. I like to buy that sort of stuff because I have found that that sort of stuff tends to hold and go up in value. What I don't like to buy are small terraces that are two down type of buildings that are very common. I I like to buy semi-detached houses and, and detached houses. And I've got a lot of this sort of stuff. I've got some quite unusual buildings. My big seven bed is, is on a huge plot and it's detached and it's got massive gardens and it's quite unusual as a HMO, but it performs so well. And I like to have that sort of balance in my portfolio. So I've seen this sort of performance, net rental income and the capital appreciation across all of my deals. And that's what's helped me go from one to the next, to the next, to the next, and build a business and and so on and so forth. So I think that that's really important here. Now, the numbers are clearly great on this project. I certainly think the numbers are great. But I think when I zoom out and look at why I started investing in the first place, why I still invest in HMOs now, it's all about time. I want freedom of time. I want freedom of choice. I don't want to be tied to a job. I don't want to be answering to anybody. I want to be able to go on holiday when I like and make my own choices independently and not be tied to something. And that made me think about how much time I actually spend running this HMO. Now, of course, I've got my team and they manage my properties, but I'm fully aware of how much is involved on my projects and what's involved. And I reckon that over the lifetime on this project, that includes what I put in at the front end to refurbish it, the injection of time and effort and energies that it requires from me and my team when we're letting and and doing the tenancies and paperwork and viewings, and then general management, including inspections and things like that. I reckon over the lifetime of this deal, this is a really difficult one to quantify. So this is just a really kind of a best, best guess. But I think that... The amount of time that I've had to put into this project over the lifetime averages out at about an hour a week, one hour a week. So if you look at the metrics, what did we say? About averaged £1,000 a month on net rental income, almost £1,000 a month on capital appreciation. For that £2,000-ish a month that I've made over 12 years, On this project, it's probably required about one hour of my time every single week. And that for me is the real magic here. That for me is why investing in HMOs. That for me is why investing in HMOs is still the best way to invest in residential property. You can have it all. You can absolutely have it all if you know what you want and know how to do it. If you want the capital appreciation, if you want the rental income, if you want the confidence of rental income, Knowing that you've got the tenants there year after year after year, if you get this right and you understand how to manage properties and manage tenants in the right way, that's really how little you can boil this down to. And I'm really taking into account what my team have to do to manage the property as well. And that for me, in a nutshell, is why HMOs just are the best real estate class that you can invest in today. And I hope that this story, I hope this case study really inspires people to see what's possible. Not every project will turn out like this. Not every project will be as good and some will be better. But this is definitely a very real example of what's possible. This is absolutely what I've achieved. And if you think about that that figure, what was it, 282000 that I've made over the lifetime on this project? A little bit of that is still stuck in the deal. But over that time, that cash, that capital has been extracted from the deal. I've reinvested it 
and other things. And if if you thought, what's the average deposit I've got in my HMOs? Maybe it's £60,000, something like that. Well, £60,000, multiply that a few times. 280 grand is, is kind of what I've made. There's a, quite a few £60,000 chunks in there that I've been able to reinvest in, in projects and other things. And that is how I've built my portfolio. So it was a fascinating exercise doing this, actually. It really it was quite cathartic and it really helped me see how I've been able to do this because building a business and building a portfolio is, is akin to getting up and just looking in the mirror every single day. It really feels like anything at all has changed. But you, know, you look back a year, two years, three years, five, ten, and actually you see that things do change. And this is it. This is how it washes through. This is the very real material substance to investing in HMOs. And you can probably hear my voice now. You know, this is still what excites me now. I still look at every single deal with the same thing in mind. The project that I bought in January, I'm absolutely, I'm thinking rental income, capital appreciation, long-term, what can we do? How can we extract the most? How can we make it perform? What's going to be involved? And I don't see a time in the next 10 years where I'm not going to be thinking about investing in HMOs like this. So I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode. I hope you've enjoyed this really thorough kind of lifetime analysis and breakdown. I know we've not gone into the absolute nitty gritty of performance on a monthly basis, but I hope you've really enjoyed and found value in in looking at the performance of one of my deals over the term. And actually, when we're investing in HMOs, everybody should be thinking about this. Yes, it's important to think about what the performance will be on day one once you've done that refurb and refinance, but what will the performance be in year two, three, five, ten? This is the important stuff. I'm thinking about what my performance is going to be in year 20. And that's why I'm already thinking and planning periodic refurbishments. This project I've talked to you about today, in the next few years, it's probably going to get an overhaul, a big overhaul, maybe even add a bedroom to it. And I'm really going to push things and plan the next 10 years out. Now, if you're listening to today's episode and this has inspired you or excited you, given you confidence, then that's great. But I remember what it was like when I started. I didn't have help. I didn't have resources. And if I'd have had tools, like the tools and the content and the resources that are available in the HMO roadmap, this would have been so much easier. I would have had much more confidence. I unquestionably would have found ways to buy quicker, raising private finance, shortcuts, managing tenants, I'd have made more money. Um, All of that stuff is there waiting for you inside the HMO roadmap, and it will help you do this with your HMO. So if you want to scale things up, if you want to build your, your portfolio, then go and check out the HMO roadmap if you haven't done already. That's about it for today's episode. Thank you for tuning in. Don't forget that I'm on handover in the HMO community with our members. We're on hand to offer you more guidance and support. So if you're struggling with anything or just looking for advice and looking for inspiration, then that is a great place to go and check out. It's our free community. It's the HMO community over on Facebook. That's it. Don't forget, I'll be right back here next time. So join me then for the next installment of the HMO podcast. (laughs) 